Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are recording on Thursday, January 27th, 2022. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. I'm the author of Civil Thoughts. You'll find that at civilthoughts.com. But much more importantly is the namesake star of this uh, podcast. That's Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Buskey a distinguished fellow in history at Hillsdale College. I think that history aspect is going to come into our uh, program today because we're going to talk about what's happening in Ukraine. We're going to talk about Vladimir Putin's intentions and the ability of the United States to deter him. And we're going to do that right after this important message. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious Great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code VICTOR50, that's code VICTOR50, at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Hey, we're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Again, we're recording on January 27th. And Victor, as you know, by the, you know, the, the when when the podcasts actually appear on justthenews.com, that's John Solomon's website. That's our the podcast happy home. There may be a few days, so the dynamics of what's happening in Eastern Europe may have changed. But as of today, there's a tremendous amount of uh, tension ratcheting up. Appropriate is that you have just written a piece for American Greatness. Folks encourage you to go to American Greatness to read this. It's titled, Why Putin Has Not Been Deterred. This, of course, is regarding Ukraine. Victor, I wish you will explain to us right after I finish this little piece why he has not been deterred. You wrote in this piece, I'm quoting here now, uh, some Ukrainian expatriates and current government members worked with the American left to ensure the first impeachment of Donald Trump. Now, Ukrainians are exasperated that their prior intrusions into domestic American politics have backfired with the disastrous Biden presidency and his apparent de facto acceptance of an inevitable Russian annexation. Where does this entire mess leave America? In trouble. So, Victor, two things. Would you talk about this piece and why Putin has not been deterred? And if you could elaborate on this a little bit, I think it's related. What will 2022 look like globally for American foreign policy because of what Joe Biden's presidency has been and what it has done, starting with the Afghanistan pullout? So talk about, please, about Putin, Ukraine, and then take it more broadly, if you would. Yeah. So everybody agrees, Jack, that borders, to have a global order, so to speak, that a border has to be sovereign. Everybody except Joe Biden, who doesn't care about our own border and is flying, as we talked about earlier, illegal aliens all over the country at night. But other than Joe Biden, most countries believe you cannot have nation states where their borders are invaded by their neighbors. Okay. Most Americans also believe they don't want to go over there and fight nuclear Russia, 7,000 nuclear weapons in the back door, backyard of Europe and 30 NATO members who have an aggregate population of 1 billion people and eight times the economy of Russia. So if they really worried about national borders, you would think that Germany would not be prohibiting aid flights going using its airspace or the Turks would have the largest army in NATO would be standing up. But that's not happening. And so now we're all fighting because if you say it's not happening and we can't deter him, then you are labeled an apologist for Putin. Or if you say you've got to do something, you're reviled as a neocon interventionist globalist. But what's the truth? Why has he got 100 to 150,000 there and he can attack at will? And the only decision that matters is his own warped sense of cost of benefit analysis. If he thinks he can go in there and take out that government without a guerrilla war and get all of Ukraine, he will do it. If he thinks there's going to be a messy war in the streets or there's going to be huge sanctions, he may or may not. We don't know. And if he does pull it out, he may or may not, but could go into the Baltic states and maybe even China could call him up and say, how do you do that? We're looking at Taiwan. Okay, that's the framework. So why is he there? Let's look at NATO very quickly. There's 30 members. They have, as I said, more wealth and population than Putin even had when Russia was the Soviet Union. But they're not united. They're socialists. They don't spend the promised 2% 
They keep thinking we're going to maybe someday kind of sort of maybe pay it, but we're not. Six nations, I think, of the 30 actually met their contribution requirements. And we have two nations with over 80 million people, one of which is Germany. Germany, according to the most recent Pew poll, when asked, would you want better or worse relations with the Soviet Union? 60-something percent said better. And in America, it's almost the opposite. When asked particularly, are relations with the United States good or bad, about 70% say it's bad. And over 50% have a negative impression of the United States. If you ask the Turks with the largest army and, and the largest population in NATO, I think it's 84 million, what do you think about these issues? They pull the same, if even more anti-American. Germany does this in part because about 50% of their energy needs because of their disastrous new Green Deal policies will be met by Russian natural gas along the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And Turkey does it because they've got a series of joint uh, military industrial projects. Uh, okay, so NATO is not going to react. They're not, and, if, and if Ukraine was in NATO, as we've said in the past, that would have been a disaster. They would have evoked Article 5. Nobody would have showed up, literally nobody with power, and NATO would be through. So NATO is not going to show up. If you think they would, then look at Afghanistan when the United States pulled out and didn't tell its NATO partners. So then we look back to the United States. Is the United States, can it handle it by itself? Well, how did that work out in Libya and Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan? And when we pulled out of Afghanistan, did that send the message, hmm, those Americans are even bragging on their logistical retreat. They called it a great success. What country in the world can pull out 3,500 troops so quickly? My God, that was wonderful. And they gave $80 billion in magnanimity to the Taliban and military equipment. And they were even nicer, and they turned over a $1 billion embassy. And if that wasn't enough, they gave the biggest air base in Central Asia with $300 million in refits, and they gave it to the Taliban. We want to join those guys. That's not happening. If you look at Joe Biden, the person, he says, remember that clip where he says, Putin's a bully. That was in 2019. Trump's a bully. And they're afraid of me. When I get in there, they I'll, okay, he got in there and he had a little mini summit in Anchorage and the Chinese completely dressed us down and humiliated us. And then Putin unleashed some uh, hackers as, his, as is his want. And Biden went over and said to him or called him and said, please, if you're going to hack us and destroy commerce and industry, don't do it with vital services, please. Here's 16 agencies, institutions, companies, please don't hack. And then there was Afghan. Is that going to deter him? And then we get into the U.S. military. Biden is not raising uh, defense spending. Obama cut it. Trump did. He raised it. Biden knows that his chairman of the Joint Chiefs has said that his primary mission, according to his testimony in Congress, as well as climate change, was rooting out what he called white privilege and white rage. And he was just mimicking what Secretary Austin had said. And now there's a big fight at the same time where we're going to discharge potentially thousands of service people who are not vaccinated, even though we know that the vaccination will not stop infectiousness or infection, it may, it will prevent you from going to the ICU probably. But 
people who have prior immunity, as we've talked about from a natural infection, are probably better off or as good off as a vaccination. But nevertheless, they're going to be kicked out. So we're going to tell that military, as I said earlier on another broadcast, you're going to go over there to Central Europe or maybe Eastern Europe or maybe to Ukraine. But, you know, we really don't want you if you're not vaxxed. And that tattoo with that snake or don't tread on me, you're a white supremacist. And you know what? You guys die at twice the rate of most other uh, ethnic groups in combat. So I don't know. Just go over there and die for it. That's not going to happen. So they have ruined the morale and there's a lot of opposition. That's why the American people say only 45% have confidence in their military. So you add that up from NATO to Joe Biden, to his administration, to the recent behavior of the U.S. military. They've all in a perfect storm fashion colluded to make it very hard so that a president can face the nation in a coherent, spiritual manner say this is an existential problem we cannot have a world without sovereign borders just as our border is secure walled and we are not going to allow to be invaded so ukraine has that right and we and 30 29 other nato countries are going to help if we can do it with weapons our sanctions will try it if it doesn't work we may have to insert if that's not going to happen Sorry, not going to happen for the reasons I listed. So, yeah, it's it's Putin's. It's almost Putin's call on, as you said earlier, cost benefit analysis. And I don't know that you can answer this, but I, I wonder what he would assess in that analysis to say, you know, this isn't worth it. Right. Well, now. he's got. Yeah, he's got about three or four considerations. Why is he doing this? Because. He wants to show NATO, Europe, the world, aside from what, that he's tough and he can deter people, even though he doesn't have the resources of a major power, superpower. He's got an economy much smaller than California. So what he's trying to say is that there are certain former Soviet republics that historically, culturally, linguistically are tied into Russia, and they were not going to let them we may let them be independent dependencies if they're non-aligned like Finland, for example, but we're not going to allow them to integrate their economies and their politics and their military alliances within the West. We're not going to do that. And that would be, you know, that's what he's arguing. He's also said, you know, well, we don't go in the Caribbean. We don't go into Northern Latin America, et cetera, et cetera. We know those parallels. He's also saying, if I can, bully Ukraine, then all of these other countries insidiously, whether they know it or not, are going to elect governments whose sine qua non will be, you have to get along with Vladimir Putin. You cannot be openly hostile to Russia. And so that's what he wants. And then the question is, what's the cost of getting that? I don't think he believes that there's not going to be any troops in the former Warsaw Pact or any of that crap. But What's the cost? As I said earlier, at the worst cost, which he will pull out or he won't go in if he's sure that there's 400,000 Ukrainians with Javelin anti-tech weapons and SAM uh, shoulder uh, anti-missile batteries, so to speak, and sophisticated weapons and IEDs around every block in Kiev. He's not going to go in. Or if he doesn't go in, he's going to go out very quickly. But he doesn't know that's going to happen because he looks at Ukraine. He says, hmm, nine million of these people have left the country. 
it's got the largest outflight of any major Central European country. And the people who stay have the low, one of the lowest birth rates in Europe, and it's got one of the worst economies, and it's one of the most corrupt nations, and life ain't too good in there. So if I can go in there, and even my poor standard of living in Russia is preferable to Ukraine's, and it's not the bastion of democracy that the West says it will be, if I can do all that uh, and get away without a major war, then it's a plus plus. And he's getting a lot of encouragement from China who wants him to see this. And then China will say, well, look what they did. And Ukraine is not as close to Russia as Taiwan is. There's nobody in Taiwan that doesn't speak Chinese or people in Ukrainian that don't speak Russian. And so that's what's at stake. There's a lot at stake. But, you know, you've got the Bill Crystals and the uh, Max Boots and all of the neoconservatives whom you and I used to know and like are basically calling anybody who voices these considerations a sellout or an appeaser or a Putin puppet. But the point is that record is so broken because these are the same people who said the Steele dossier was accurate or John Brennan had uh, undeniable evidence or Adam Schiff demolished Devin Noon. All these lies they've told us about Russian collusion. And then when they were exposed as lies, no apologies for ruining the country. And Jack and basically empowering Putin. right? Because Russian collusion hoax really hurt us. It caused internal divisions. It alienated the Russians. And I should say the elephant in the room about all this is we used to use Russia as a strategic foil to China. That was Nixon and Kissinger's signature foreign policy achievement. Neither of those powers will be closer to each other than each is to us. So we should have been telling Putin, look, you're a thug. You don't like us. You think we're decadent. Okay, but you've got radical Islamists' problems. So do we. You've got China on your border, and we don't get along with China. So on key issues, we have to find some common ground. Instead, what did the Obama administration under reset start off? It was basically, uh, we're going to like you, Vladimir because you're not George Bush. Uh, George Bush was mean to you over the Georgia invasion, and he put sanctions. But we're liberal, enlightened people, and we pushed the, the reset button in, in Geneva. And so they did, and they appeased him. And he looked at them and said, these are, I've, in Hitlerian terms, these are worms. I saw them at Munich. And he just took advantage of them, even when they begged him not to, because Obama had to be reelected in the hot mic exchange and would willing to and did dismantle missile defense. They had contempt for him. And then they did the second stupid thing. They went from abject appeasement to demonization, not of Putin, but of all Russians. You couldn't watch a movie, uh, Jack, 10 years ago where the villain didn't have some orthodox cross on his back tattooed or a Russian accent with a leather coat and a bald head and big muscles, and he was beating up some person of color or American hero- heroine or something. And so we, de- we demonized Russians in general. And that's what they brought us with Russian collusion. And we lost that foil. Well, Victor, I'm so glad that Joe Biden is a foreign policy president. He will figure this out. So this, uh, that piece was uh, why Putin has not been deterred. It's an American greatness. And Let's talk next about another piece you've written for American Greatness, your weekly major essay, 
a switch from foreign policy to our culture. And this is titled, Wokeism is a Cruel and Dangerous Cult. Please, folks, go to americangreatness.com and you can read this. Actually, it's also, Victor, you have it on, on your website, victorhanson.com. Terrific piece. You talk about wokeism as something that is a, a, a cruel creed. And in this uh, essay, you you have a number of sections, woke's victims, always in search of targets, woke equals wealthy careerists, uh, power, not equity is the creed. I just want to read one little passage here, Victor, that you wrote. And then if you'd talk about this essay broadly, you wrote, the woke do not even make the effort to admit that class matters as much as or more than race. By doing so, they do millions of poor white and Asian students who manage in poverty to achieve excellent grades and test scores from being admitted to top tier schools. Their actual achievement, despite their absence of wealthy, college educated, or well connected parents, means little. Once a morally bankrupt society, for naive, utopian, or ignoble reasons, begins to calibrate graduation ceremonies, dorm space, roommate selection, achievement, and grading standards based on race, then it not only will lose its standard of living, but it will deserve to. And it may have a future date with the violence of Rwanda, Iraq, or the Balkans. That's a pretty uh, scary end of connecting the dots, Victor. But hell, I can see it. Would you talk about this essay, Wokeism is a Cruel and Dangerous Cult? I get really tired of people, you know, they don't really talk about the essence of wokeism. Wokeism is the primacy of ideology over rational thought and humanity. It's taking an individual who has unique characteristics and reducing him to a cog in a Maoist wheel. He's just part of a collective. White supremacy. What does that mean? Does that mean that Mark Zuckerberg is a white supremacist? He's left wing, but he's got more power in his little fingernail than 700 forklift drivers in Dayton who happen to be white. So it means nothing. But we don't ever talk about how wokeism ends up. Here's how woken ends up in the real world. Wokeism means that you're an African-American mom uh, 40 years old, and you're living in an inner city apartment, and there's a guy shooting drugs, and another guy shooting the guy who's shooting drugs, and you call the police because the bullets are whizzing around your window, and they say, sorry, we're underfunded. We were defunded. Nuh-uh. Or you've got a white policeman and his black partner, and the white policeman says to the black partner, I think you should go because you know your quote-unquote community, and I will be, and the black policeman says to him, is that very fair, that just because you're white, you don't have to go into the high crime areas and you get to go to the, the nicer areas of Chicago? That's what wokeism is. Wokeism is right now as we speak, there's some uh, poor person sitting in their home waiting for their PCR test from COVID that they mailed in and it's sitting on those railroad tracks in the dirt or it's some, as I said, mechanic that has a weird brake caliper part and they've ordered it and it's sitting in the dirt or and it's been abandoned 
or it's some supplement or medicine that somebody needs, it's sitting in the dirt. And that's what Mr. Gascon has done when he allows that to happen by decriminalizing it. Wokeism is when some obese person with one comorbidity who's 70 years old goes down to get a treatment, one of these new Pfizer pills or Merck pills for that seems to have a pretty good rate of stopping even Omicron. And they're saying, you know, I'm sorry, but uh, Mr. Diaz from Bolivia, who's a finance financier, is Hispanic. And according to our rating, he's higher priority. And you say, well, he's younger. He has no comorbidities. I'll die if I don't have. It doesn't matter. We're going to make you pay for the sins of your ancestors. He said, well, I have no ancestors. I, I came from Poland, you know, 10 years ago. doesn't matter. That's what wokeism is. Wokeism is telling a five-year-old that has no idea of race or has no idea of history, you owe people, you are a racist, you are, this is what wokeism is, and we don't talk about it. Wokeism is a very cruel and unkind and mean, mean creed, and we have to look at it that way. Just like the Soviet commissars were mean, evil people, just like the Maoists were, just like the Bolsheviks were, just like the Nazis were. I'm not comparing them to Nazis, but just like the Jacobins were. But any ideology that suppresses human difference, human individuality, human uniqueness, and applies without any refinement, a Stalinist lockstep ideology that destroys people's lives. And I feel really bad for the Southeast Asian student. And I had a lot of them at Cal State Fresno who came in the, the last 1975 to 76 boat person wave into, and there were three or four cities and about 80,000 of them were just dumped in Fresno County. And eight or nine years later, I had children in my class from mostly Hmong, the poorest of the poor Southeast Asian. When I saw a Hmong student, they didn't have an alphabet in the mountains of Cambodia. And when I would see somebody study and study and study, and, they li and I visited their homes, and many of them didn't have money, and they had no opportunity, and they faced discrimination, and they got straight A's, and they got high test scores. And when I see a Harvard or a Yale or Stanford and I see some wealthy white grandee in his little admissions office and say, hmm, how do we get rid of these guys? Because if we let in 41% Asians, then we can't let in as many Latinos and blacks. And then the guy says, well, go after the white male. He said, well, they're already below the 33%. They're down to 20 or 15. We'll go after the white women. Well, we've all, we, we're down to 55% of women. And then they said, well, we got to go after the Asians then. Well, how do we get a lot, go after the Asians? Well, let's do some research. How do we go after the Jews? We got rid of them. They were, you know, they were getting in at 20 or 30% in the 40s and 50s, in the 30s. Remember how we did that? Well, no, I don't remember how we did that. Well, we came up with a third criterion. It was called personality. And we just stereotyped them as workaholic Jews without personality, nerdy little people. We didn't want them in, you know, our fraternities and our, you know, blue bed, blood, little white group. And so they said, well, we can update that. So we'll have test scores, grades, you know, extracurricular activities. That'll help a little bit. But to get, to get that ratio down to down, 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 we've got to have personalities. We'll just say they're regimentate. They're unimaginative. 
They have no personality. They work too hard. Now, we won't say that, but that's what we'll do. And that's what they're doing. That's what woke is. That's what woke is. And remember, the person who's doing that and the people who allow it to be doing it, when Junior doesn't get in and they have a lot of money and they give five, 10 million, or they have a phony lacrosse expertise, they call up the university and say, listen, I graduated from Yale. My dad did. What's this about my kid not getting in? And the Southeast Asian kid can't do that. Well, Victor, we're going to talk. This will be a nice blend into the next subject, which is education. And uh, let's get to that. But right after this important message. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. I think he used to be called a classicist. I don't know. I'm confused. We had, we, <laughs> I know. We're, our sponsors thought they were confused too, so yeah. we're, we're bowing to expediency. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We're still classicists and uh, traditionalists and culturalists in spirit. Yeah. yeah, uh, true, true dad, my friend. Well, uh, first of all, I, I do want to recommend to our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. Consider subscribing, $5 a month. Victor writes an, an incredible amount of original material, only readable on that website. So uh, victorhanson.com, five bucks a month, 50 bucks for the year. Victor, I had, as we were planning for the show, there were a couple of pieces that are in this education basket versus that you may have heard that Bard College has hired three students to spend a year going through their library and decanonizing the stacks. It sounds very Catholic. And, and that's, I guess, what happens when St. Christopher is not a saint anymore. He's decanonized. But these three students with their equity and hired by the equity department there are going to go through and deselect, I guess, Mark Twain. Probably if they find some Victor Davis Hanson books, they're going in the junk. They already do. I walked by not too long ago at the Chicano Law uh, Library on Stanford's campus, and they had a list of pictures of books, covers that were toxic, and Mexifornia was one of them. That was a few years ago. Congratulations, my friend. You made it. Uh, So that's one thing. And aside from that, there are two pieces uh, that I'd like us to talk about. Well, you talk about City Journal. Uh, Zaya Jelani has a piece today, and it's and it's about how Democrat lawmakers, mostly Democrat lawmakers, I assume all fact leftists, 
are attacking uh, Republican lawmakers, particularly governors, who are, are promoting legislation to make curricula more transparent, right? Here's what we are teaching the children today. And to find the, the you know, forces of progressivism and leftism fighting transparency, I think is really worth hearing from you about. Also, is that there is a piece today by Jim Pearson and uh, Naomi Schaefer Riley, my old pal, on National Review's website. It's titled, Will COVID Collapse? the college cartel. And it's, I think it's a really worthwhile piece. Uh, I encourage our listeners to read it because many colleges are approaching a, a brink. Let me just read this one paragraph quickly and then Victor comment on any of this. They write, and this is Naomi and Jim. Now it appears that at last students and parents are getting wise to the financial games that colleges have been playing. In a Gallup survey in 2019, only 51% of Americans said that getting a college education was very important. That is down substantially from 70% in 2013. The federal government will continue to subsidize higher education, despite all evidence that doing so has only made college more expensive and unaffordable for students. It's heartening that even with Democrats in control of Washington, student loan forgiveness seems to be going nowhere. But even with the free-flowing federal coffers, colleges are closing or even lowering their prices. Drew University, Sweet Briar College, Benedict College all lowered their tuition this fall. Others will be forced, forced to take similar steps and soon. Victor, there is a pushback. I've gone to college. It took longer than I thought. I got a lousy degree and I'm a barista. We've talked about- Are you AOC? <laughs> she, was an, she was an economics major who never had never heard of Milton Friedman. It was kind yeah. of interesting. So anyway, Victor, important pieces about the state of American education. Your thoughts? You know, it's kind of the general rule that we discussed that applies to immigration. That is anything that the government does that's not transparent is usually unlawful. So the idea that you're going to go through books and Trotskyize them, maybe they could get little scissors and every time they saw a picture of the wrong type of person, they could cut it out like they did with Trotsky in the Soviet Union after he was considered an enemy of the people. Maybe they can do that. But I think they were finally embarrassed and they stopped. But the point is, when you expose things like this, the universities either deny it or they don't want it to go on. So we know what they're doing. And it depends on a lack of transparency because it's contrary, if not illegal, often to it's either contrary to the Bill of Rights or it's illegal. So but universities do it because they feel they can. They feel you got as someone who spent 40 years of my life connected to a university, I can tell you the attitude on the campus is that we're separate, we're special, we're custodians of youth, we're philosophers, we're Socratics, and we have certain conventions and protocols that you and the general public don't understand. One of them is tenure. You can't fire us. We can fire Amazon drivers. We can fire you know, dock workers, we can fire anybody out. You cannot fire one of us. We are so important. We're much more important than the farmer, the miner, the timber, the lumberjack. So don't fire us. But there's other protocols like that. So when we hear stories that they're fascistic, I don't know if Orwell really said that. He's often attributed if that paid better, they'd be fascist. But if it that's what they are and they're going through and, and selecting material. That's pretty clear. The fact that people are making the decision not to go to college is, is a result of two things. 
The first is the value of it. And the second in a cost of benefit, I mean, what it gives you. And then the second is at what cost does it give you something? If you look at the college curriculum and you're empirical today, and you look at the admissions policies, and you look at the grading, equity grading, you will see that it's not based on merit. It's not based on excellence. It's not based on requiring students to do meet a certain standard. It's to be inclusive and to, to be diverse and to provide equity. Equity defined as everybody's going to be at the same level, which human nature being what it is, it's going to have to lower the standard. And so that's what it is. So if you go there, it's particularly if you major or minor in things that have a dash followed by studies, gender, black studies, Asian studies, peace studies, leisure studies, environmental studies, uh, you name it. You're not going to be educated much better, if at all better than an autodidact in the general world or if somebody who has real knowledge, but you deprecate it. That is a master electrician, a master sheetrock hanger, a master mechanic. They have expertise. The BA with, in sociology does not, Jack. And so in the old days, the BA in sociology said, I took a general education course, so I know the basics of my constitution. I know how what civics is about. I know where the Western tradition came from, and that enriches my next 50 years. It doesn't anymore. Sorry, you didn't learn that. You learned that a bunch of evil white heterosexual atheists were oppressing people that are romanticized. That's what you learned, and it's worthless. So there's no value there, and you know there's no value because... They could prove there's value. They can say, you know what? We're getting really sick and tired of you attacking this bastion of education, this bastion of humanity at the university. And yes, we require an SAT because we do not trust high schools, given the thousands of them, to have a standard that's uniform. So when a guy gets from Salma High School and he has a straight A, we don't think he's doing as well as Menlo School straight A. So we're going to have him take the SAT. And so, therefore, we want our students to take the SAT when they graduate so that we can say a Stanford BA was much better than a Cal State Fresno BA. And that's how we're going to evaluate people. And we're all going to agree that you've got to get 550 on the verbal or 550 in the math to get a BA. They'll never do that because they know what they're doing. So then the second part of that equation is, well, sometimes ignorance is cheap. You just waste four years. But what if it's expensive? What if you have $1.7 trillion in aggregate debt and the average person owes $70,000 and they're parts of the, they're in the middle class? I pointed this out in The Dying Citizen. And this debt, it plays a role in society at large. It, it has delayed the age of marriage. It's delayed the age of first child rear. It's delayed the first home purchase. And it hangs like a sort of Damocles over every young person. Who's going to forgive that debt? If they forgive that debt, should I even keep paying that debt? Why should I pay off my 70? And then this guy didn't pay any, and he's going to get amnesty in five years. But if I wait five years, I feel like I, I can't take it any longer. So it's a horrible situation brought about by this transference of moral hazards. So the university, and why are they lowering tuition? Is because they raise tuition higher than the rate of inflation. And why did they do that? Because the student who defaulted, 
was backed up by the federal government and the universities knew that. So they raised their room and board and tuition higher than the rate of inflation. And they gave a 25 minute second rah-rah speech rather than a 10 minute heart-to-heart -heart talk with you know a used car salesman check the box. If you come to my university, if you take a federal loan, this is the interest, this is the real approximated money you're going to spend each year to service the debt. This is your major. This is the likely salary you're going to get when you graduate. Given that salary, this is how much dollars of your, you're going, that kind of stuff. Truth in lending. They don't do that. And they don't do it because it goes back to my initial point. They think they're exalted and they're, they're so up in the clouds that no one would ever question that they're grifters. And they are. And so they've destroyed almost a whole generation of encumbered youth. And so all of these stories reflect that. And so a lot of people are saying, you know what, this COVID stuff and the Zoom reaction was the, the scab and it tore off that little veneer and underneath there, my God, it's a rotten place. So these kids were being charged full tuition, room and board. And then suddenly the university says, no, no, you go home, COVID. So they started Zooming and they thought, wow. I'm paying $70,000 a year to Zoom. I just went on the PragerU, I went on YouTube, and I found a lecture that's 10 times better, 10 times better than what I was paying all this money for. And I kind of like natural inquiry, and I'm going to just pick and choose on the internet. It's free, and the quality is usually better than what I get at university. And then somebody said, the university says, but you don't have a, a cattle brand. You don't have a Stanford BA. You don't have a and you think, well, except in some cases, if you want to go to pressure, I don't see your BA worth that much anymore. I'm sorry, because I might want to be a master, I don't know, carpenter. I might make a plumber and I can see that they are very valuable and they're short people and I can do that. And so you show me which majors uh, in a cost of benefit analysis pay off. And so then they say, well, how dare you talk about money. We're not here in the university about money. And then you look at their budgets and you see what is the actual ratio of tax-free income from their endowments or from their tuition that is devoted to classroom instruction rather than esoteric pie-in-the-sky silly research or diversity equity equity inclusion czars or in local parentis counselors. It's very small and getting smaller every year. So that's the problem of higher education. And it's tragic because all of us that are above the age of 60 were told in the 50s and 60s that that was the trajectory for upward mobility. Go to college, major in a, something, get hired by the government or get hired by a corporation, learn about it, read the great books. I think I mentioned another podcast, you know, we lived out in the country in this farm and we were with these salesmen. Remember them? Hey, hello, Mr. Hanson. I'm here to sell you the world book encyclopedia. If you would buy this, your children will be enlightened and self-improved and they'll know things. Okay, how much is it? Well, it's $9 a month for the next eight years. Okay, the next guy. But the Encyclopedia Botanica is much more rigorous as they as they evolve beyond the world book. You need this research. Okay, fine. Oh, and the next person, well, the University of Chicago has the great books, and these are the the uh, jewel and the crown of this. And and that's what and then I remember my parents going to something to Great Book Society, Jack, at night. 
continuing education. You may have degrees from Stanford or whatever, but you have to read the great books every Sunday night with other interested parties. And these were working people. And they did that. That was all the dream of what the university is going to do. And it did. It did. The GI Bill, all of that was great. And that's what's tragic about it. They took that wonderful legacy and that confidence in the university. They started in the late 60s and they politicized it and weaponized it. They destroyed standards. They told professors, you've got tenure for life. If you don't show up for an office hour, if you skip a class, if you go off topic and ran about your unappreciated genius in your novel that should have been a bestseller to a bunch of captive audiences, that's okay. And that's where we are. Victor, it sort of uh, addresses the very end of the uh, piece on wokeism that we were just discussing. I, and that I, was, it uh, does. you said I, it was created by and for the careerist benefit of the privilege. It is. I would go, I would come home after teaching, you know, I taught eight classes a year for a semester. And I'd say to my wife and kids, I got to take a shower. I'm filthy, dirty. And they'd say, why? You were not out in the tractor. I said, yeah, but this is what I did today. This guy called me from the athletic department and said, don't give Charles Brown a D or he's going to be off the football team and you're on a list already. People shouldn't take your class. Or I was told, you know, when you have this search, you're not represented proportionally, our foreign language and classical language department. So these are the people on this list that you're going to hire, that you're going to hire somebody by race. I said, okay. And then I would go in and somebody would say to me, I want you to serve on a committee because Professor X said something in class and we're investigating them. What did he say? Something that, and I always would say, did he say something about abortion or did he say something about religion? Because it was usually that. If he said some four-letter word, that was okay. No problem. And then I was told, well, this student right here has accused that professor off campus of having a sexual relationship. And I say, what do you want? Well, you, would you serve on the sexual harassment committee? And as I was looking around my department or the faculty senate, I'd go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 20, 20, 50, all of the professors who were married to former graduate students. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they nice were going to work sit, if you can get it. Yeah. yeah and they were going <laughs> to sit on judgment of all these other people. Hmm. And then I would have the philosophy department come over and say, I'm outraged. We're really white. So if you're going to be on this ancient philosophy search, we're looking for a person of color. I say, okay, fine, but why don't you just step down? You've been here 35 years. You were hired without a PhD. You were mediocre. You never published a damn article. You were a terrible teacher. Just step down right now. Well, I can't step down. I'm working on that patio behind my home. I'm putting in a pool. That kind of, I mean, I'm literally talking about what happened. Yeah. So I lost respect for the institution. Well, Victor, We've got just two minutes left, and I've, I've got to say a thing or two. Yeah. And actually, you weren't ranting, were you? I was then? ranting. I got a, Somebody wrote me. I mean, I read all of our comments, Jeff. I'm going to read. I'm going to read this one right but now. But I got to. I have. I have to have historical data and credibility, so I, I do that, and then I get my mind is transferred back to those days and listening to those conversations and all the terrible things they did to people, and yeah. it gets me angry, and I start ranting like a, a nut. Well. 
according to Kamachka 62, who left this uh, comment on uh, iTunes, and we thank all that do, as Victor just said, we read them all, and we thank everyone who leads a rating. The ratings are off the charts. It's titled, uh, Don't Stop Ranting, with five exclamation points. Victor <laughs> always apologizes for going off on tangents. No need to apologize, five exclamation points. It's terrific to hear the passion and genuineness of his opinions, three exclamation points. Neither Sammy nor Jack can rein in that Bronco, five exclamation points. <laughs> On another note. Sammy can. She's a little crueler than you are. Well, okay. Bronco. She says, can I ask, can I ask you a question? <laughs> okay, that means I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah, well, at least she's being polite. Uh, cool. Finally, I'm, I'm kidding. I know. Finally, Kamachka writes, on another note, I've just finished the Hillsdale College course lecture series on The Dying Citizen, really enjoyed it, and even got a 94 on the final exam. Kamachka, 62, thank you. That's higher than I would have got. <laughs> you great heart. Harshly, to all folks who've listened, thank you. Visit civilthoughts.com. Sign up for my newsletter. Thank you. Please visit victorhanson.com. Subscribe. As I said before, always a tremendous amount of original content written by Victor that you can only read there. Victor, I hope by the time this is playing, maybe things magical have happened in the world. The world will have settled down. Or Amos, uh, thank you, Victor, for sharing your wisdom. Thanks, folks, for listening. We'll be back soon again with another edition of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. If you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters, millions. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why does the IRS target you and not millionaires? Here's the reason, because millionaires have tax lawyers and you don't. You'll pay up, plus interest, plus penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need it now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor, like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and which ones to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. Schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. Call one 800 245 6000 again call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash victor